We took a little break in our study through Luke as we went through some Christmas passages. We are back to it this morning, looking at Luke's gospel verse by verse, all together. I gave you half of this back before we started our Christmas sermons, Luke 6. We're in a section on the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we looked at verses 20 through 26 together. Today we're going to pick up on verse 27, and we'll begin working our way through verse number 29, but I'm pretty much setting an alarm when Joshua lays in the floor and says, can we leave? (laughs) Then I'll know that it's probably time for me to stop preaching because I've exhausted you, so we'll see. All right, let's pray. Father, we're so glad that we can gather. Uh, We are displaced from our norm right now, but you've blessed us with a wonderful place to be able to gather and sing your word and read your word and pray your word and preach your word. Lord, no doubt you've blessed many through all of the holidays we've just celebrated, and we thank you for the beginning of a new year. What a great way to start the first week of a new year, but all together with our church family. So bless this time now as we study your word. May we grow thereby. Holy Spirit, edify us, mold us, and make us into what you would have us to be. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in these verses, Jesus preaches what we call the Beatitudes. That's a word that just means supreme blessings. He says, you know, these are blessings, but here's some. These These are tops. Uh, Last time we looked at the two attitudes that Jesus preached about, the blessings and the woe. And today we see the commands that he gives in regards to those blessings and woes. And then also the illustration that he gives about that sermon that he is preaching. He preaches this sermon and then he illustrates it to these people. So just for a quick review, in verses 20 through 26, Jesus preached about blessings and woe. And he talked about our own attitude toward our circumstances. Now, where we're going to pick up today in verse 27, Jesus is going to begin preaching to us about our attitude toward other people. Then in verse 39, he's going to pick up preaching about our attitude toward ourselves. And then in verse number 46, he'll finish out this sermon, speaking it to us about our attitude toward God. And he emphasizes here through this sermon four essentials for happiness in life. Faith in God love toward others, honesty with ourselves, and obedience toward God. And these are things that, to some extent, we have to be working at daily in the Christian life. But in reality, what Jesus is teaching here is, He has come to bring this new covenant. And as believers and partakers in this new covenant, we should see these things reflected in our life. They should come up. Faith in God, love toward others, honesty with ourselves, and obedience toward God. So he gives us the blessings and the woes. The blessings in verse 20 through 23. Blessed are you poor. Blessed are you hungry. Blessed are those of you who weep. Blessed are those of you who are hated. And then the woes, verse 24, woe to the rich. Verse 25, woe to those who are full. Woe to those who laugh. Verse 26, woe to you who are well spoken of. And we, we can't really take the time to get back into all of those, but just remember, this is not Jesus saying, you're only ever right with me if you're poor and you're not rich. This is not the idea of what he is saying there. 
Uh, if anything, it's blessed are you who are poor in spirit, um, or woe to you who find security only in your material wealth because someday all of that's going to go away. And sort of he plays that off each one of those, blessed are you who are hungry, woe to you who are full. This is the idea. So we pick up today in verse 27 with these commands. And the first command that he gives in 27, 28, and 29 is to love your enemies. Let's read that together. Luke 6, 27. This is God's word. But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other and to him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. So Jesus' command in regard to these supreme blessings is he wants his people to love their enemies. How are we to do this? Well, do good to those who hate you. It's hard to do, isn't it? I mean, it's easy to love those who love you. But Jesus doesn't say that here. He says... To you who can hear, and we understand throughout the Gospels, Jesus makes this distinction. If you have ears to hear, then hear, meaning not everyone has ears to hear. We would understand that in the modern New Testament church. If the Holy Spirit indwells you, then you have ears to hear. You understand the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit has let your eyes be able to read the words to understand the meaning there. So for those of you who have ears to hear this morning, Jesus' command is simple, and it is true. Love your enemies. Love them by doing good to them. We, 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 we easily do good to those who do good to us. What a nice thing. The uh, White Bluff United Methodist Church brought over Krispy Kreme donuts and coffee and spiced tea, and I think there's even some hot chocolate out there. That was a great thing to come in this morning and see another body of Christ down the street to bring over a blessing to our church. They, they called and said, we just feel bad for you guys, and we want to do something. And so... Can we bring donuts? And I said, you guys know me all too well. <laughs> the truth is out about me, even in another town. Well, that's easy, though, isn't it? Jesus doesn't say that here. He says, you, you need to do good to those, even those who hate you. Boy, they're, they're mean. They cause bitterness. They cause strife. They stir up anger within you. You need to find good works and do those good works to those who hate you. You need to bless them, verse 28, bless them that curse you. Well, I don't want to bless them that curse me. You know what my natural human reaction is to people who curse me? What is it? I want to curse them. And for people who bless me, I want to say, well, blessings on you. But Jesus says here, bless them that curse you and even pray for them. So, so do, do some good toward them. Say some blessings in their direction, nice things, prayerful things, and then actually pray for those who despitefully use you. Isn't this hard? It's hard to live out. Well, Jesus isn't giving us a checklist here to say, hey, if you'll do all of these things, I promise you, you'll be fulfilled in life. No, what Jesus is saying here is, these are impossibilities, but I'm coming to give you my Holy Spirit, to make you a new creation, to put you back like the Garden of Eden was, 
So these things should start becoming natural to you in your living. Pray for those who despitefully use you. This is not just someone taking advantage. This is someone on purpose with a strategy taking advantage. And, and we're to be praying for them. Now, if we try to make this like a list of rules to live by, we miss the spirit of this teaching, and we can still be getting the actions right. Ever been doing that in life? It's like a little kid that did something wrong, and you set them down, you know. You say, now you say, I'm sorry. And what do they say? Some of, some of you got the mouth right when you did it. I watched some of you mouth it here. You said, I'm sorry. You know, they're still mad, and they're not really sorry. And they're just aggravated at the whole situation. And now this adult's coming in and won't hear out their point of view. Do you remember that when you were a kid? You were right. They were wrong. And now they're making you say you're sorry. No, I'm not sorry. I'm right. But the adult says, no, you say I'm sorry. And you, you stomp your foot and cross your arms. Fine. I'm sorry. And sometimes I'll even make my boys hug one another. Hug them. Well, don't kill them. <laughs> Tell them you love them. <clears throat> I love you. Well, this is not what Jesus is enforcing upon us here this morning. He is not wanting us to go through life gritting our teeth, looking at people we don't obviously like, and say, I like you. Here's some good stuff for you. I'm praying for you. We were down visiting my family this week, and they live in Kissimmee, Florida. It's near... Orlando, Florida, just a lot of people down there. And this guy had this shirt on, and I won't tell you everything that was on the shirt, but the, but the gist of what you should know off of that shirt, the message, was, it, it just said, don't pray for me. It was one of these, I'm a heathen type shirts, right? And so I whispered to my kids, I said, I just prayed for that guy. <laughs> and there's nothing he could do about it. <laughs> this, is not, this is not the spirit of what Jesus is talking about here, though. The spirit of this is in me, in Christ, with the Holy Spirit inside of you. You should be able to love everybody. You should be able to do good works toward anybody. You should be able to offer blessings to all because you're just so blessed it's overflowing out of your own life. And for sure, you should be praying, especially for those who you hate. Your enemies, those who hate you, those who curse you. Even if they insult you, verse 29 says. And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. And to him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Now I want to be clear here from verse 29 that Jesus is not telling us as Christians that we cannot defend ourselves. Amen? We can defend ourselves. We, we do defend ourselves. If I wasn't afraid that it would... But scare some people and hurt some people. I'd have all the men in the church right now do the ch -ch -ch with, with their guns in unison. That'd be kind of cool, right? Uh, we, we have people out front that keep an eye on things. If you're new here and you're wondering who these mean-looking, scary guys were at the front door, they are not our greeters. <laughs> but kind of they are, right? I mean, they're making sure nobody... They defend us. That's a wonderful thing. Jesus is not saying here, and turn the other cheek... <laughs> When I was a kid, this is how I understood this. I was raised in church. My daddy was a preacher. And so I got in a fight one day on the playground. 
And uh, I was ready to fight, but I knew I wasn't supposed to be fighting because that was against the rules at school. And I knew this verse about turning the other cheek. So that, I did that before I fought. That's what I did. So I, the, the guy shoved me. I gave him my cheek. He smacked me in the cheek. I gave him the other one. He smacked me. And then I just went to town on him. I said, I've given him both cheeks. I've done what Jesus wanted me to do. And I just took him down after that. It's okay to have a national defense. It's okay to have a personal defense. It's okay to not be in an abusive situation. That is not what turning the other cheek means. In fact, turning the other cheek had to do with this ancient insult of this kind of backhand smack on the face that you would only do in sort of an, an official capacity. You know, we, we kind of can think of these movies, Civil War era, Revolutionary War era, you know, the, the gentleman with his gloves and he whopped somebody on the face with them there. That was the similar thing that might have happened in like the synagogue in Jesus' day. If you were being reprimanded, if you were being put aside because of something you weren't holding up to rightly, the, those with the authority could kind of give you the backhand pop on the face as a way of saying you're, you're ostracized from the group here. And Jesus says, well, if, if they do that, give them the other cheek also. In other words, for Jesus' sake, be willing to be insulted again and again and again. To him that smites you on the one cheek, offer him the other. And then he goes further there, to him that taketh your cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also, even if they steal from you. So love your enemies, even if they insult you. Love your enemies, even if they steal from you. I like how William MacDonald says this. He says, when robbed of its overcoat, love offers its suit coat as well. It never turns away from any genuine case of need. When unjustly deprived of its property, it does not ask that it be returned. Love's golden rule is to treat others with the same kindness and consideration as it would like to receive. I hope we're this way, especially with our material possessions. I mean, I, I get that to some extent we've got to keep some things just for quality of life. But do you, do you feel like this? I, kind of my policy is if they need it bad enough to steal it, they probably need it worse than I do anyway. It's not a bad way to live. And, and that doesn't go for everything. But there's a lot of things, you know, my rakes and my shovels. <laughs> Somebody wants to steal those, go for it. Now, if they want to steal my backpack blower, now that's, I need that worse than they do because I'm, I'm getting old and I don't like to rake anymore. And that blower makes it a whole, a whole lot easier to do the leaves. No, I get that there's, there's this protection of property. I'm not saying you shouldn't have a security system at your house. You shouldn't lock your doors. All of that's fine. But... Jesus is saying here, if they need your cloak, well, they probably need your coat as well. So love your enemies in such a way that even if they insult you, you give them the other cheek and you'll be insulted again. And even if they would take with, from you, whether in stealing or in borrowing with no intention of returning, just give it to them and, and give them even more because they obviously have that need. So this is how we are to love our enemies. Now, I think... An, an important clarification here is for us to identify, well, who is my enemy? Who is it that we're called to love? Because hard as it is for us to live this out, this is who Jesus is calling us to love. Our enemies. Those that hate us. 
those that curse us, those that despitefully use us, that smite us on the cheek and would take things from us. So the question becomes, have I done good for them? Have I blessed them? Have I been praying for them? R.C. Sproul says, when cursed, respond with prayer. When assaulted, respond with nonviolence. When exploited, respond with generosity. That's verse 30. Be generous. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. Now, let's just start with the first half of that verse. The second half is easy. Lend without expecting a return. And of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. So it's, it's this idea of don't, don't let there be any borrowing and returning. Just be givers. If they give it back, well, that's just another blessing. But if you're willing to let them use it, just be willing to let them have it. That's sort of what Jesus is saying here. But I think in the, the church, there needs to be clarification on generosity. Because for sure, the biblical principle is to be generous, to be givers. Give to every man that asketh of these. Uh, go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Hold your place in Luke 6. 2 Corinthians 8. Paul gives some good wisdom here in regards to how the generosity should be balanced in our lives. In fact, in verse 10, he goes as far to say, and here and I give my advice. So this is Paul's advice. Holy Spirit inspired, but it's for how we should be generous. So verse 9, chapter 8, verse 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. All right, so spiritually we understand the doctrine that's there, but in the, the actuality of living, the illustration that Paul is using, because he's talking about giving here, is we should be able to become Go from very rich to very poor for other people's sake. That's what he says in verse 9. That's what Jesus did for us. Now he goes on to say in verse 10, And herein I give my advice. For this is expedient for you who have begun before, not only to do, but also be forward a year ago. Now therefore perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness of will, to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which you have. So he's saying be givers in verse 10 and 11. For if there... Be first a willing mind. It is accepted according that a man hath, and not according to he hath not. Now there's the advice. So have a mind to be generous, but only with what you have to be able to give. And don't be generous to the extent that you're giving that what you do not have to give. Have you ever found yourself there? We, we think of it as sacrificial giving. But in reality, who are we sacrificing for? What are we sacrificing? All of these things. Paul says, my advice is, give according to what you have. Don't give according to what you do not have. Verse 13, for I mean not that other men be eased and ye be burdened. So his idea here is, what, based off what Jesus is saying in verse number 30, give to every man that asketh of thee, Paul says, my advice is, yes, give as you have to give, but don't give as you don't have to give, because I don't mean that other people be eased while you are burdened. So there's a balance there. The flip side of that balance is understandable as well, isn't it? Don't let yourself be eased while other people are burdened. And then Acts 2 is our solution. 
They all came together and had all things in common. If you had plenty of food to eat and somebody else was hungry, you shared and everybody had plenty to eat. If you had a place to stay and they didn't, you shared and everybody had a place to stay. So it was this idea that was prevalent in the early church and should be prevalent even in the modern church. And I would say most of the time in most of our situations, we all have enough to be able to give so that when there is a need, they are not burdened. And it, it usually it doesn't cost us very much to give anyways. So be generous, but be generous with some win- wisdom. And then the second part of that is lend without expecting a return. And Christians, I want to clarify for you here because, boy, we're the, we're sort of the frowny fun suckers, aren't we? <laughs> uh, times of generosity should be joyful for us and the, for the receiver, the giver and the receiver. But if we're not careful, and I know we'll, we'll hold to the law here. I don't expect nothing back. But we sort of follow that up with words or thoughts that are somewhere along the lines of, but they ought not get in this situation again. Or what'd they do to get in this mess to start with? Why are they always needing my help? Y'all are looking at me like I'm the only one who has these thoughts. Y'all, are you, are you being true this morning? Or am I just that wicked of a person? Don't be like that. God has blessed us only to be able to be generous. And to show the generosity he's shown to us to the world in which we live. So, so be generous. And be generous without strings attached. Be generous in such a way that people would say, not only, boy, I'm glad they helped me, but also they would say, along with that, I kind of want to have the life that they have. And I don't mean that in the physical sense. I mean, I want the joy they have. They were so happy to give that up to help me out who was in need. Versus the other side of that was say, boy, I'm glad they helped me, but they were awfully judgmental about it. Uh, he's, he's a dead theologian, but he's a modern theologian, Calvin Miller, who as a whole would probably have some beliefs not quite as conservative as our beliefs. But I was reading, he, he wrote a book about his life, and one of the things that stuck with me in his life, he grew up very poor. His mother and he were left desolate, and he kind of became the father for the other children in the house. And just, just think of the, the 1940s poor. I mean, it's just how, just how he came up. And he said he kind of, he, he was always expected at Christmas time that one of the local churches would bring by Christmas to the house. And he was thankful as a kid. But he said as an adult, he looks back on it and he said, it kind of stunk that every year I had to get saved again to be able to have some Christmas presents. Isn't this how we are as the church, though? It, it's, it's like, here's generosity with some strings attached versus just, hey, we have plenty and you don't. <laughs> There's another great story in modern church history along this line. There was a family that the church was going to take up some generosity and bless this family with it. And... The, the story goes in the end, the kids said, we didn't realize we were the poor ones until they brought it to our house that afternoon. You know, and those, those kids were in church that day when they received the offering, and I think one of the kids gave a dime or something like this, and then they're the ones who received the blessing. Generosity can be a funny thing, and it can be very misconstrued, misconstrued but in the end, the idea is clear, give. Give to every man that asks of thee. I was convicted recently, we, were, we had gone to Georgia for Thanksgiving, 
and we were driving home and stopped to get fuel. And you know, it was Thanksgiving. Christmas is coming soon. If you're a dad with four children, that's a little bit stressful because you, you know, you want to do, do good for your kids and your family at Thanksgiving, so you're watching your pennies. That's, that's the way it works, at least in my life. And so um, this trip is costing me money. It's kind of like Santa Claus losing his magic, you know? This trip is costing me money that could turn into presents. But you got to go make the trip. You got to go see your family, you know, and, and do all the right things. So I'm really being careful with the spending on this trip. And on the way home, I stop to get fuel. And in my mind, I'm calculating up how much I've spent on this trip. And I'm thinking, all right, this should be the last money I have to spend. If I get home, it only costs me this much. So it didn't have to dip into the Christmas fund and everything will be fine. It'll be like it never happened. And that's kind of what's going through my head as I walk into the gas station and back out. And the family's all sitting in the, you know, they're all in the car. Jingle bells, jingle bells. <laughs> well, right then, a guy walks up to me. And he just had that look, scummy look. And he said, hey, man, did you, we're trying to get back to Arkansas. Could you help me get a tank of gas? And I was not in the right state of mind then. See, my mind was thinking, how am I going to buy my kids more stuff this year so they like me? Right? If we're being honest. And my God has blessed me supremely. There's plenty of zeros in the bank account. But that wasn't where my mind was at that time. And I was trying to be smart, and I was trying to be wise, and I wasn't thinking about being generous or godly or holy. And just by the look on my face, I didn't even get words out of my mouth yet. By the look on my face, the, the dude's countenance dropped, and he said, no, nah, that, that's okay. And he walked away. And I said, well, let me see. And he said, no, no, he said, I'll ask somebody else. And man, that ate me up. We, we drove home about 30 miles down the road. Shanae said, what's wrong with you? I said, that guy asked me for money. I should have bought the dude a tank of gas. We could have afforded to buy that guy a tank of gas. Here's the, does God ever rib you guys? It hurts when God ribs us. I get home, there's a check in the mail for $47.38, which is about what it would cost to fill that dude's tank up with. And it was from my insurance company. They overbilled me last year, and they sent me a refund in November of this year for the excess. And man, do you know what Bible we read that day? Sometime during that week, we read in Hebrews, and I had read to the children, be careful with strangers, because sometimes you entertain angels unaware. Man, I said, okay, Lord. You, you have just raked me over the coals here. All of that to illustrate what we're saying here. Give to every man that asks of you. And of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. Oh, I know they owe you $20. Forget it. Write it off. That earthly loss is a great deduction in heavenly taxes. Just let it be. Be generous. The only way that's possible, though, is if we are free from the love of possessions. And that's the next verse. 31 through 35, then Jesus says, be selfless. So love your enemies. That's a command. Be generous. That's a command. And then be selfless. Look at verse 31. And as you would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if you love them which love you, what thank have you? For sinners also love them that love, love them. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have you? For sinners also do even the same. And if you lend to them of whom you hope to receive, 
what thank have you for sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies and do good and lend hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great and you shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. So this begins in verse 31 with the admonition to treat others like you hope they will treat you. In fact, he says, as you would that men should do to you, do you also to them likewise. And so a great way to understand that verse is whatever you were going to do for yourself, do for somebody else. It's a great way to be selfless and generous at the same time. Leviticus 19.18 says, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. This is Jesus commanding his followers to reciprocate the treatment that God has shown to them. What treatment has God shown to us? Romans 5. You know verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9 says, Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. This is what God has done for us. This is the ultimate illustration of treat others the way you hope they will treat you. So Jesus is calling for actions of love regardless of how the other person responds. In fact, if it's only based off the the potential of them reciprocating, then it is not actually generosity. And it is not actually love. If you take this further here, it begins with verse 31, And as you would that men should do to you, do you also to them likewise. But if you base that on the context of Love, be generous, be selfless. Jesus is actually calling for love regardless of what others would do. He's not even saying, think of what you like and do that for others. That's a part of it. But this should go farther. It should be be sensitive to the needs, the feelings, the concerns of others. And you seek to meet them. See, if I'm not careful... I only ever do for you what I want done for me. Well, you probably have a different idea of what love looks like than I do, or what generosity looks like than I do. So we've got to be sensitive to others, their needs, their feelings, their concern. Sensitivity in love means serving and listening. We're not to be ignoring moral limits here. But it does mean caring enough to be concerned about how others feel. It's the old adage, walk a mile in their shoes. Look at things from their perspective and then try to act with concern. Do you ever find yourself guilty of acting with concern only from your point of view? That usually leaves you dumbfounded. You think you've got a great word of wisdom to share with them. You think you've done something that should be very helpful to them. And you just kind of look... Look, when they don't receive it well, and think to yourself, they don't get it. Yeah, probably you don't get it. There's often times where you, you would say, well, here's what you need to hear given this situation. When their heart is saying, I can't hear anything else right now. 
at best, I need you to say I love you. I need you to say I'm praying for you. Or I need you to give me the word, which is much better than man's wisdom. Let the preacher be guilty of being preachy instead of you and just be loving. Walk a mile in their shoes. Put yourself in their situation and decide what would I need from others at this point and how can I show that to them? Verse 32, Jesus quantifies this by saying, Love others and not just those who love you. Verse 32. For if you love them which love you, what think have we? For sinners also love them that love them. You watch any football games this weekend? All of these bowl games are going on. We've been putting them on. I don't know if these people are saved or lost. But it has nothing to do with Jesus or God. They all like their team. So they wear the colors. And they high five each other. And when they... (laughs) It's so funny. When their team scores, two men who otherwise didn't know each other start hugging. Oh, yeah. We did it. Well, you didn't do anything. <laughs> that guy did. But all of a sudden, this is kind of Jesus' point here. Sinners also love them that love them. They have this common interest. They're in this together, so this is good. This is not the love Jesus is talking about here. If you love them which love you, what think have you? So love others and not just those who love you. 33, don't only do reciprocal good. Boy, we're so guilty of this. We do good to those who do good to us. Well, Jesus says, even sinners do this. But you are the righteous. You are his people. He has redeemed you unto himself. So you should be different than everyone else. Well, if sinners can do the same, then we should be doing more. Verse 34, he takes that to the next step. So love others, not just those who love you. Don't only do good to those who do good to you or you think could do good to you. And then give and just give nothing ask in return. Give instead of lending. And if you lend, verse 34, to them of whom you hope to receive what thank have you for sinners also lend to sinners and receive as much again. Now some of you, your banker does love you. But probably not for the reason you think. But in reality, there's not really a love relation there. It's a business relation. You need what they have, and they need what you can pay, and that's the relationship. We are not to let our human relationships, especially with those God has put into our lives, be that. But if we're not careful, that's all we do. We love those who love us in return, either because we're mean or we don't want to get hurt. We'll only do good when we think they could do good back to us. That's because we're stingy and we're full of ourselves. And we'll only lend when we can get some interest or we're sure they'll give it back to us and hopefully they'll give it back to us better than we gave it to them to start with. But boy, if they break it or if they tear it up, they're going to owe me a new one. Well, Jesus says here, even the unsaved can operate like this. This is not supernatural behavior. This is just natural behavior. This is typical human behavior. It's so common that it makes no impact on the world of unsaved men. Banks and loan companies will lend money with the hope of collecting interest. This does not require divine life. The way you and I operate, the way we act today and tomorrow and the rest of this week should, should look divine to the extent of it changes the world. The early church did this. 
But the modern church has stopped doing this because we've been deceived into buying into the world's wisdom. Brother Scotty taught us that from Colossians this morning. The conclusion here in verse 35, as Jesus reviews all that he's just said, is that this approach to life leads to great reward. So he says again, but love your enemies and do good and lend hoping for nothing again and your reward shall be great and you shall be the children of the highest for he is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. So this is a focus shift from being vindicated before our enemies to becoming more like God in our character which is the greatest reward anybody can receive. It's far greater than riches. It's far greater than food. It's far greater than laughter. It's far greater than popularity. Those were the blessings and the woes, the attitudes Jesus talked about already. And if we're not careful, becoming like Christ becomes fifth place to riches, food, laughter, and popularity. But it should be first place. And then we'll be more fulfilled than those who put their trust in those things. All of those things will one day vanish. But character lasts for eternity. This is Jesus' command to living out what he said, recorded in Matthew 6, 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. The next command from verse 36 is to be merciful. He says, be therefore merciful as your Father also is merciful. So, so live in relation to others as God lives to you. Anybody here could, could, could testify this morning and say with clear facts that there's been a time in my life where I went and confessed and repented of a sin and God did not forgive me. Can't testify to that, can you? His mercies are renewed every morning. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us, wash us from all of our unrighteousness. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have eternal life. Just like God is merciful to us, we're to be merciful to others. But we're humans and we have trouble forgetting. The disciples illustrated that for us. Jesus said, forgive, and they said, how often shall we forgive? Seven times? And he said, till 70 times. Seven. Those guys started doing the math. This is not how we are to be. We're to be merciful like God is with us. Boy, I don't know if God's keeping a tally. But if he is, I'm going to be embarrassed to see mine someday. Multiple times a day, I'm having to say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, I need your mercy again and again. Well, Jesus says here, this is how you ought to be living. Just as God is merciful to you, you be merciful to other people. Be forgiving. Verse 37, judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you shall be forgiving. So we are reminded here. Well, let me give you this statement and then I'll give you the next. This is not Jesus saying that Christians should never be judgmental. This is not Jesus saying that Christians should never condemn. We should condemn sin. The Bible is clear on that. But it's condemnation paired with mercy. 
We have to be judgmental of sin or we won't see it. So what is he saying here if he says, judge not and you won't be judged, condemn not and you'll not be judged, forgive and you shall be forgiven. So it's two, two negatives and a positive. So it's the, this is the law of the sowing and the reaping. We reap what we sow and we reap to the extent that we sow. You sow grass seed in your yard, what do you expect to come up? Or weeds. <laughs> something. I mean, some, something, right? Something green. But you don't expect squash to come up. Wouldn't that be awesome? You can just sow your yard, and squash comes up. And does everybody like squash as much as me? Am I the only one? Okra? Anybody? Steaks? If we could sow steaks in our yard and they just grow right up, that'd be cool. So the idea is you reap what you sow to the extent that you sow it. When we lack mercy, when we refuse to forgive, we're going to reap that same judgment and condemnation on ourselves. This is what Jesus is saying here. Judge not, lest you be judged. Condemn not, lest you be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. When you lack mercy and you're not willing to, to give mercy, you're going to receive that same lack of mercy reciprocated back to yourselves there. So we must forgive. And then in being merciful, forgiving people, we will find forgiveness granted throughout our own lives. Then in verse 38, he goes back to giving. Give and it shall be given unto you good measure pressed down and shaking together and running over, shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet, with all shall it be measured to you again. So the same law of reaping and sowing applies here to our giving. Give yourself, give your time, give your talents, give any of your resources. Just as generous as, generous as you are, with all that God has trusted to you, you will find that same generosity in your own life. There's some imagery for us here as he talks about good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. MacDonald explains it for us. He says the picture is of a man with a large apron-like fold in the front of his garment. He uses it for carrying seed. The more widely he broadcasts the seed, the greater his harvest. He is rewarded with good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. He receives it into his bosom, that is, into the fold of his garment. It is a fixed principle in life that we reap according to our sowing, that our actions react upon us, that the same measure we use to others is measured back to us. If we sow material things, we reap spiritual treasures of inestimable and, 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 ugh, value that cannot be estimated. It is also true that what we keep, we lose, and what we give, we have. Did y'all hear about the guy who died with great wealth, and he was determined not to share it, so he told him to bury it all with him? He had this lawyer in charge of it, and they said, that guy's funeral, that lawyer was just grinning, he just couldn't quit smiling. So somebody finally asked him, says, is it true? You had to bury all his wealth with him? He said, yep. He said, you did it? And he said, yeah, it's right there. I said, what are you grinning about? And he said, I wrote him a check. <laughs> what do we think we're going to do with all the goodness in our life if we're not willing to share it? And you know, some of it goes away day by day, doesn't it? Today's joys are not always tomorrow's joys. And if we hoard them up, well, then what good are they? Some of us do this every Sunday at church. We're overcome with something joyful, a doctrine we're reminded of, 
a blessing God brings to our minds through the prayers or the songs or the readings. We have these thoughts, we get these goosebumps, and we just kind of keep it to ourselves. I don't think we're supposed to do that. I think we're to share it with somebody. One of the things I love, and I don't mind encouraging you to do this too often, because if we all did it, it would be chaos in here, but I love in the middle of the sermon when somebody leans over to the person sitting next to them and, and they do this number right here. I mean, that could mean I'm really way off base on this scripture, and they're like, this guy, what is his problem? But typically what that means is it has nothing to do with me. The Holy Spirit of God and the Word, something just, just popped off the page to them. Maybe they've been talking to their husband or their wife or whoever's sitting next to them about this thing, and they'll say, look at this verse. This is perfect, just what we need. That's a great thing. Share that. You know the old saying, what goes around comes around. I don't know if that's a modern thing anymore, but I think we all get, get the idea there. Well, Jesus is saying that here. Give and it will be given to you. A great example of what Jesus is saying in verse 38 comes from this story. I want to share this story and I'll be finished for today. There was a poor Scottish farmer named Fleming. One day he heard the cry for help coming from a nearby bog. There, mired to his waist in black muck, was a terrified boy screaming and struggling to free himself. Farmer Fleming saved the lad from what could have been a slow and terrifying death. The next day, a fancy carriage pulled up to the farmer's humble dwelling. An elegantly dressed nobleman stepped out and introduced himself as the far, far, father of the boy Father Fleming had saved. The man said, I want to repay you. You saved my son's life. The farmer refused the offer. And while he was in the middle of refusing the offer, his own son came to the door. The nobleman said, is that your son? Let me repay you through him. And so he put him in school and paid for his education. In time, the farmer's son graduated from medical school in London. And you all know him today as Sir Alexander Fleming. How do we know that name? Penicillin. He invented penicillin. Many years later, the boy saved from the bog, this nobleman's son, was ill. He was dying from pneumonia, and they gave him a shot of penicillin and saved his life. He was also a famous man. That was Winston Churchill. Isn't that neat? I love stories like that. Give and it shall be given to you. That's a simple human temporal example. But it says very clearly to us, to our human nature, what God has intended in redeeming us. And Christians, whether you receive a full measure back now or not, you could know for sure you're going to receive it in eternity. Love your enemies, be selfless. Be generous. This is what Jesus is preaching to us here. So he speaks about these attitudes, and then he gives us these commands, and then he's going to follow this up with some illustrations. And I'll, I'll give you the illustrations next time. But one of my favorite is in there. He says, if you, if you won't do, listen to this sermon I'm preaching to you, you're going to be like the blind leading the blind. That never goes well, does it? 
All right, let's stand and pray. Lord, we are so thankful for the opportunity we've had to gather together and begin a new year around your word. Lord, help us to go and live as you've commanded us here according to the scriptures. Help us to love. Help us to give. Help us to pray. Help us to be blessers. Help us to be generous. Lord, help us to not do it just in the convenient ways, but to do it in all the opportunities you present in our lives. Forgive us for the sin of stinginess. Forgive us for the sin of selfishness. Father, these are things that as small children we were taught we shouldn't be like that. Lord, now you've saved us from our sin sickness. You, you've made us whole. You've put us back in a right relationship with God. And so, Lord, that Holy Spirit indwelling in us should overflow these things in our lives. But for whatever reason, we bought into the wisdom of the world. We're overcautious. We're overanxious. We've allowed the, the duties and the stressors of this world to rob us of the beauty and the joy and the goodness that comes out of living of you as you've instructed us to live. So help us today as we repent ourselves before you and align ourselves for your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And I'll add to that, all of this is only applicable inside a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you haven't taken that step, then, then none of the rest of this is real to you. So if you're unsaved today, I would begin with be saved. Let's take some time and pray and respond to the word. Miss Wiggins is going to give us some music. Let's bow our heads and just take some time to talk to God. <laughs>